Just my family. And we watch basketball and Rogue One all day. All day? Yeah. Did you watch Rogue One more than once? Oh, I wish. No, I just not once. <laughs> I watched... Yeah, I watched four basketball games. Um, and then the next day I watched three soccer games. <laughs> Machination log interview of Brian Garcia recorded December 30th, 2016. It was a very unproductive week with my family in are, Chicago. Are you more or less inundated with sports than you used to be? Uh, no, not as much. Usually I keep it in the background. This time I actually focused on like a certain game and actually paid attention to what was going on through start to finish. Instead of like gazing in and out of doing other things. Not a multitasking sportsman anymore? No, not anymore. It was all straight up watch and be disappointed in some of the performances I saw. Which sports do you follow? Too many. So we'll start with <laughs> soccer. Uh, there was the baseball thing that the Cubs did a couple months ago. I heard about that one. Yeah. Um, hockey was a big one. Still is a big one. You got basketball. Uh, NFL, I still multitask there because the game's just too start-stop for me. Mm. Tennis is fun. Um, anything else? I'm trying to get into volleyball because that was fun during the Olympics. But they don't have much coverage. So you have at least the top four sports covered. Yeah. I don't know what the top fifth one is, so I can't confirm whether or not you have that one covered too. That but. would probably be soccer to a lesser extent here. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, it's football, basketball, baseball, uh, hockey. Yeah. So yeah, no, I guess soccer. So you got at least yeah. the top five covered. Right. Do we? What's, what's our over-under that tennis is number six? Oof. Golf is probably higher. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Do you follow golf? No. No golf. Yeah. This criteria is based on segments I listened to on the Dan Patrick show, a sports <laughs> talk radio show during uh, 9 to noon in Eastern time. So, yeah, they talk more golf than they do, you know, tennis. <laughs> I don't know. Have you, what sports have you actually participated in? Um, so I have played flag football only because our middle school gym class made us do it. Um, that was probably one of I my, don't know if that counts. It doesn't count? I think we're talking extracurricular here. Uh, well, if we did it in class, does that count? Brian, the definition oh. of extracurricular oh, is oh, outside I misheard of you. I misheard you. I honestly misheard you. It's okay. the three hours of sleep. You're forgiven. You Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, God. Um, <laughs> no. Um, I did the soccer thing as I, you know, I... That's how I also hurt my disc, my herniated disc. There you go. Yeah, so I'd done soccer. Um, even in college, I did some very bad intramural soccer where I, yeah, the two teams I played for did not win a single game. We did score like maybe four or five goals. Was it, were you responsible for that? No, I actually helped them keep a clean sheet for one half, but I wasn't one of the main players because I was just a free agent that they needed to fill up space. Oh. It was a church group at uh, UF, the first one. But you have actually. So you've played soccer before. Yeah, least. yeah. Southwest Rec, those fields uh, on the yeah. UF campus. Yeah. Played many nights there during the spring and got my butt whooped. And of course, you ran a lot. <laughs> ran a lot. Yeah, the running thing. Still trying to do that. Turn you the disc and all. I got a 10K in London coming up in February. So I'm either going to freeze my ass off or run just enough to stay warm and cross the finish line. We'll see. Were there always just sports on in your house? In the beginning, um, 
Yeah, when I first kind of started paying attention to TV, that was when Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls were dominating the NBA. So they were on like every night at home before we moved down to Florida. Um, yeah, I lived in Chicago for about five years before moving to Florida and spending the next 15 plus years down south. Okay, so yeah. that's, uh, does that explain where, was that your gateway drug into the rest of sports? Yeah, that was. Um, yeah, it was Michael Jordan. Uh, Barry Sanders at around the same time. Uh, so Barry Sanders was a running back for the Detroit Lions. Ironically, one of the hated teams against my Chicago Bears. But um, he was elusive, fast. No one could tackle him. And he just ran down defenders uh, when they did get a hand on him. But the reason why I liked Barry was because of a video game called Tecmo Bowl. And he was the most unstoppable runner in that game. So I always played as the Lions against my dad's Bears or the computer's Bears and basically just ran Barry Sanders plays all the time. No pass plays, just run it. <laughs> so that was my gateway into the NFL. Um, baseball, yeah, that was also one year after Jordan left the Bulls, or actually almost simultaneously as Jordan's last championship. That was the 1998 home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa of the Chicago Cubs. So again, it goes back to Chicago in a weird way. Um, yeah, that home run record was shattered. Uh, Roger Maris's old 61 home run record by both McGuire and Sosa. And that's what got me into baseball with the Cubs. Um, hockey. Hockey was another video game. Uh, NHL 94, which is deemed by many, at least a few uh, gaming websites as like the best sports game. I think because you could beat up someone to a bloody pulp in the fights. Um, but I learned about the Chicago Blackhawks through that game, and Jeremy Roenick, who was a center for the team, um, he was my favorite player, and that's how I got into hockey. So that, that covers everything except tennis that you mentioned. Tennis. Um, tennis, ooh. I actually really don't know why. I mean, Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi were around. And I guess maybe that was like the first step. And then watching, I guess, and I guess watching Andy Roddick fail all the time against Roger Federer was like the final step. And then, yeah, soon Fed and Nadal took over and Djokovic took over. And like, I don't, I'll just hang tight with those guys. Um, but yeah. And then, of course, there's Serena and Venus Williams who dominated and still dominate today. Um, back in the early 2000s. You have more pictures on your Facebook of you around either memorabilia or celebrities uh -huh. than anyone I know. Dang. And the way that you talk about sports also seems to have, idolatry is too strong a word, I understand. Uh -huh. But you talk specifically about people. Right. You haven't once mentioned the <laughs> dynamics of these sports in their appeal to you. Oh, really? You've, um, you've talked entirely about the people. Right. I think that kind of ties into why I listened to that Dan Patrick show uh, radio plug I gave earlier. Um, it's really, that's what you watch sports for is the people. Like, the feats that they perform on the field. Um, it's a treat when your team actually wins. No doubt about that. But, I mean, but, like, the previous 108 years of the Cubs, you know, sucking. 
uh, the Blackhawks had a Stanley Cup drought of, I think, about 70 years before they won in 2009. Um, the Bears haven't won since 1985. And the Bulls, that was like the only one that was around with the heyday of Michael Jordan. Like, you start paying attention to what's going on in the leagues in general to see where the talent's at. And you realize, oh, these guys are really good at their jobs. And you still pay attention to your team's results and you hope that they do well. But you watch the better performers, the bigger names, uh, to see the top skills on display. And you kind of just start to analyze what they do and how they do it and how the coaching staff somehow plays a part in harnessing that talent. <laughs> and in that way, that's, that's spectatorial, but it doesn't yeah. seem all that... Uh, one of the things that people bring up a lot when it comes to players at the absolute highest level is the degree to which they are inspiring or they are role models. Holly Holm is my closest example that comes to mind here because I don't care all that much about the UFC. I just know people that are into it, so I end up watching it on occasion. And her fight against Ronda Rousey not terribly long ago at this point um, was, I mean, it was like viscerally exciting to, knowing the backstory of the fight, to watch her dismantle someone who more or less played herself as a heel. But the way that you're describing the people you're talking about has this much, much more, and you even used the word analytical side to it. Do you actually, do, do you actually, and I brought up the word idolize before and it seemed inappropriate. Yeah. Does that word actually seem inappropriate for what you get out of it? Uh, yeah. Um, interesting point. Maybe UFC could be top five with competing with golf and soccer, top six. Um, just, I, I don't personally don't watch UFC, so I'm really out of the loop there. But based on the, all the conversation it's generated with Ima McGregor, I forgot his first name, Conor McGregor, even, it feels like maybe I'm not giving that sport enough credit. But I just can't handle beating people up to a pulp. I get, I, yeah, I. That's understandable. Yeah, I physically get sick <laughs> uh, just watching people get just torn apart. Yeah. So that's more me than society in general. So I should elevate that spot. Um, you don't. Yeah. You, you, I don't think you need to. You've yeah. got more than enough sports yeah, to watch yeah. already. <laughs> yeah, but objectively speaking, in terms of the country, maybe five or six. Um, yeah, I don't really... Um, I mean, I have favorites, but I don't really look up to them. You don't have posters. No, I didn't really grow up with that. I'd have posters of all the team logos. Um, so, like, I had this old poster of, like, all 30 NHL teams. Um, just sorted out by the vision for some reason. So I guess I was always more on a macro scale of looking that's, at things. That's so organizational. It's so weird. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird. So I, I, I just I, I like I like the image of that. I mean when you go to yeah. when you, I, I don't go to sports events, so I don't know how you are at sports yeah. events, but I, I know that you go to them. You've been yeah. to the US Open at least one time. Every Labor Day weekend since yeah. I moved out to Connecticut twenty twelve. Yeah. Yeah. So you <laughs> I mean what what do you go there for? Uh, again, just to see the talent in, in person. Um, it, it, I mean, at least when you watch at home, it's more comfortable. But there's something about seeing it, the, I guess, the players in person and how that generates an atmosphere. Um, an atmosphere has become a larger 
aspect of attending sporting events because of the soccer thing. Um, it's like atmosphere is manufactured in many professional sports here. You have like the music playing um, during the breaks or the cheerleaders or just some annoying voice telling you to like stand up and clap. Um, college football, soccer, the atmosphere is more organic. Um, you may have the band playing and the students singing the fight song um, at their touchdown. But at a soccer game, from the first whistle into, until full time, those fans are always singing. Um, the team I support, Crystal Palace, they're regularly cited as English, England's best group of fans because of the Homesdale Fanatics. They're called the Homesdale Fanatics because their seats are literally along Homesdale Road where the stadium's at. Um, so I got all these crazy fans singing songs um, like, you know, CPFC number one or before our manager, Alan Party, was fired. Uh, Super Al, Super Al or Alan Party's Red and Blue Army because the team colors are red and blue. So all game, even when they've been down and they've lost two of the three games I've seen them play in London, they're always chanting the players' names. He's just too good for you, Wilfred Zaha. They're chanting the managers' names. They're always at it just to create that atmosphere. And sometimes I feel like those people are in it for that party atmosphere more than the players sometimes. Um, but it helps when they perform well because it's a give and take. Um, so I've come to embrace that, even though I may not be able to vocalize it myself because I'm just naturally quiet. <laughs> Is that atmosphere adrenal for you? Do you cheer? Do you stand up? Do you get the right? Actually, no. I, I, I can understand why you would stand up just because yeah. you're at an event where you would stand up yeah. and cheer. Do you feel the rise of that? Is that a justification for going to the place? Or is, it the, is the presence enough by itself? Would you attend the U.S.? The, the U.S. Open's a really bad example. Would you okay. attend a football game if no one else was in the stands? Yeah, I think I could do that. Um, again, I could break off into a super objective side and just see, oh, they ran this scheme or this player performed terribly this week for some reason. I'm, I could compartmentalize that way for some reason. I, I'm just trying to determine <laughs> yeah. what, what the ratio is because it sounds like you, 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 you have this spectator yeah. side of this even in describing the crowds. Yeah. Like you don't talk about it as a we. You talk about it as the team. Yeah, I do. Like the, you have this distance and I'm curious, like does their presence there obviously contributes to right. it. But it's not in terms of your investment in the game, it doesn't sound like. Um, when I go see Crystal Palace, again, my favorite team in London, that's where all the walls break down. Okay. I, I, can't, I can't help it there. It happens. What's the connection there? Why do, you, why do you like that team? Oh, dumb chance. It really is just dumb chance. Um, the very first Premier League game I saw on TV and the now departed Fox Soccer Channel was uh, Crystal Palace versus Arsenal back in the 2004-2005 season. That was the very first game of English soccer I ever saw, and I somehow stumbled upon it on replay uh, some weeknight. Um, I've heard of Arsenal because um, I saw fellow classmates wear the yellow jersey that had the Arsenal badge in the top left corner, and they had the O2 sponsorship right down the center of the shirt. I didn't know what O2 was other than oxygen. Um, but Crystal Palace, they were red and blue. 
Uh, they had the Eagles nickname, which kind of felt super Americana. Um, and the kind of, again, really, it kind of boils down to that and the club colors of red and blue relating to like my Chicago Cubs obsession from 98. <laughs> so I never heard of Palace and I assumed they were the underdog. And rightfully so. And they drew 1-1 against Arsenal that game. And that was considered one of their bigger points of the season uh, to get something out of a game against a top four side. And that's what started that whole mess. <laughs> so you're just an underdog masochist from end to end, aren't you? Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> um. <laughs> so yeah, you have one. You have that one investment. I mean, I assume you, you cheered when the Cubs won. Yeah, that... That's the biggest investment. Yeah, Palace. Uh, the Cubs are a close second just because of how long it's taken them to actually get over the hump. And plus those players are just really fun. It's, like The Cubs are like the first real team, at least this 2016 Cubs team that won the World Series. It's the really first time I felt like an old sports fan because these are players 23, 24, 25 Younger than us, winning the championship for this starved city, um, at least on the north side. I always will acknowledge that the White Sox won the World Series first in 2005 against the Cubs. I meant against the, I forgot who they beat, but basically they beat the Cubs to that title drought ender. Um, yeah, it's like you're seeing kids out there playing. It's like, man. What did I do with my life? And two, these guys rock because my generation who ended the drought. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so a little bit of a, a little bit of a taking credit from no credits actually do. That's weird because that <laughs> it's there's there's the usurpation there where you that that brings the hour back into it. Yeah. Like does that almost seems to imply that you would actually maybe be able to have that investment. In other, even though it wouldn't be to such an extreme degree yeah. as it is with the Cubs, but now that you are old enough to rather specifically relate to, if not be older than the people you're watching, yeah. um, has that actually changed the way that you appreciate the teams or players? Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. In a way, it's cool seeing your peers uh, do this for your hometown. Uh, same with the Chicago Blackhawks when they first won in 2009. Uh, these were people our age in their early 20s. I mean, most of them are Canadian, but hey, they're cool. Um, yeah, basically winning the Stanley Cup in crazy circumstances. Uh, that 2009 championship was decided on an overtime goal scored by uh, Patrick Kane. He basically banked the puck in at like a almost 180-degree angle with the goalie, and it somehow ricocheted off the goalie's uh, pad and into the net. And no one knew that Kane scored except for him. He was the only one celebrating for about 15, 20 seconds until the refs acknowledged, oh, hey, the puck's in the back of the net. And then the rest of the team finally clamored over him. So it was a very anticlimactic way to end the title drought um, in the moment. But looking back, it's pretty cool. <laughs> You still write for an organization yeah. that follows the one team that you seem to actually be a fanboy for. Yeah, yeah, they cover all 20 Premier League teams. Oh, the, this yeah. organization does actually talk about everybody. Are you just the, the Crystal correspondent? Yeah, they couldn't find anyone else to like be my backup. 
Um, so I'm, is this team that unpopular? No, there are a lot. No one wanted to step up. I actually solicited for like one of the few times in my life. It's like, hey, anyone want to help me out? Like, no, we just want to do the podcast part where we talk about it. I'm like, fine, okay, I'll do it. But I'm gonna take weeks off because I can't write every weekend, uh, depending on like work and travel. Me being down in Florida for vacation while everyone's freezing their butts off. Just How often do you write? <laughs> I'm supposed to do an article a week, so basically every time they play, write something. Um, but this week they play three times in like nine days. So I'm just going to wait till the last game's played on the third or fourth and then do something there. Um, but yeah, it's supposed to be every week. Um, but that doesn't normal. That doesn't sometimes match up with schedule. It doesn't match up with your schedule because of work or social obligations. Why don't, cause I, you seem to like writing. Yeah, I mean, I, I could make it work. Um, but the first one I missed, I was at work because that game was played on a Friday afternoon here. Uh, the second one I missed, I went to Vancouver, so I didn't even watch the game because I was flying out in the middle of the night to the West Coast. Fair weather fan. You are yeah, Brian yeah. Garcia. <laughs> we'll edit your last name out. Anyway, the, uh, actually, I don't. <laughs> no, it's I, already I, on the website. Yeah, I think it is on the website already. Because um, you've been, I mean, you, were, you did journalism and sports are a thing that a lot of people write about, but to write about it once a week, it's, and I don't necessarily want to drag on you about that, but you don't feel the urge to write more often than that? Well, I mean, if they play maybe more than once a week, I might try if both performances were spectacular. I could do that this week, but I'm on vacation mode still, so I'm just being lazy. It, it just seems <laughs> weird that you wouldn't just come up with the excuse. <laughs> I know, I know, but part of it is a lot of, their games have been like the same type of formula where they'd play attacking, like an attacking style game and they'd actually score like two or three goals. But the defense, the defense is porous and they, the midfielders and the defenders don't communicate enough to support each other and prevent goals from being shipped in. Um, so it's like the last month and a half, two months, it's been like, kind of like the same article I've written. It's like, all right, this time around, these two defenders didn't talk to each other and the goalie jumped out for the ball and, you know, clattered them and the other player from the other team knocked it into an empty net. Something silly like that. But so you sports people love that shit. I uh, thought that's what you were writing yeah. about. It, it, I mean, yeah, it's fun to write about, but it's there's like a certain amount of analysis you can do on that other than just saying, hey, they need to communicate better. The manager actually needs to implement a better tactical game plan. Here's what I suggest. I've been like suggesting the same thing like every week. Have you <laughs> talked to any of these people? Have you tried to reach out to any of them? Oh, you mean like the managing squad? The people there. Oh, no way. No. What? No. Come I, on, man. I, I mean, everyone else does that through Twitter, but not me. It's like, they, they know what their issues are. They just can't execute it. But they actually looked better with the new coach on this first game on Boxing Day. Um, so, can finally change up some of the formula this this weekend. <laughs> Does that actually feel like a glass wall between you and the people you're talking about? Sorry. Um, Does... Yeah. It, does the fact that from the face you gave me when I asked that question, you clearly hadn't even considered doing this before? Oh, yeah. No, I haven't. I'm, I'm, I'm being asked to just basically write like a weekly analysis when I can of like, how did the team perform this week? And it's like, these defensive breakdowns happen. This 
piece of attacking offense worked. They need to do more of that. Um, maybe not be so reliant on two of the players, but you know, there's only so much you can write about within the 90 minute, based on that 90 minute window that's happened. Yeah, but yeah. that's but that's because yeah. you you, yeah. you seem so specifically invested in the analytical side yeah. of this. It's just it's interesting that even with the team that you can yeah. that you are such a fan of that there is still this like analytical mirage to the whole thing. I see you're going. Okay, so this is the hard part about writing for that site because they're asking for opinions, which is okay, fine, opinions. But everyone has an opinion, and everyone wants to discuss that opinion. And that's why I kind of miss the actual journalism side of things where I don't have that access to like be in the locker room or like see a practice session and report on that and then have someone else decide based on what I've written or provided. Um, I, I'm forced to basically watch the same game as everyone else, come up, try to come up with something unique in the analysis and hope maybe like once a month it actually works out. Like, people start sharing it. Like, hey, the American came up with something interesting. Like, yeah, thanks. How many Americans follow this team? It's growing. They've, uh, Palace has visited the U.S. twice in, like, last three or four years uh, playing preseason games against um, Major League Soccer and uh, USL teams uh, to promote the brand, yay branding, um, and kind of spread the word. So we... I mean, the turnout's gotten bigger when I watch these games in New York. Um, not just with, like, English folks, but actually fellow Americans. Like, oh, yeah, we, watch, we now support Palace because, what the games we saw on NBC, uh, the broadcaster for Premier League games in the U.S., or they like the host, Rebecca Lowe. Um, yeah, Rebecca Lowe is the host of the Premier League studio coverage for NBC, and she is an abashed Palace fan um, when she's away from the studio. <laughs> Um, so that's helped promote the brand on top of their travels here to the States. Um, do you think any of the people on that team are aware of you? No, no. The writers of other websites related to palace, they're aware of me. Um, we communicate. Um, sometimes they share my articles when they really like them, but it's like, oh, I mean, I kind of wrote the same thing. I kind of just went into more details on certain plays. Um, so I appreciate the I appreciate the sharing between everyone's sides. So I'm like probably like a tear away from the players if I really tried, because I this is the part I still don't understand about the club. Like, there's enough. There isn't. There's like enough um, closeness between some supporters and staff on the plane. On maybe like the physio. I'm calling the physio. Like the like the the therapist or like one of the marketing people, like where they can get information from inside and kind of just like spread it as hearsay or rumor, and you know a lot of it does eventually end up coming true. Um, I don't have that type of closeness. I have the closest to the people who have that access. Would you <laughs> want it if I was a reporter? I don't really care about it um, from where I'm at. It's all hearsay until I actually see it reported by someone I know or the club makes an announcement. <laughs> so once again, you would rather analyze the announcement yeah. <laughs> than break the announcement. Yeah, yeah. Or break it as the reporter. Um, but I'll just, I'll keep that distance for now. It's like, I mean, I may be cheering, but at the same time, it's like, oh, he was in the wrong position, but hey, they still scored. 
I mean, that's sometimes how I act. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. You have the, <laughs> it's this like glorified detachedness. Like I, you, you like almost seem to want that there yeah, in order to be the right, you want to be the specific calibrated distance from what's going on. Um, I want to, e- yeah. Even yeah. with this one team. Yeah. I want to be right, but I still want to be a fan. That type of thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it's why um, when I go back to London next year, it's why I'm going to multiple stadiums this time and taking in different teams, um, different atmospheres. Um, the first game I may see, depending on the schedule, uh, is a League One team. So that's the third tier of English soccer, two tiers below where my Crystal Palace plays. Um, they're a team called AFC Wimbledon. Um, the old incarnation of Wimbledon actually moved to some province or whatever they call it, about 100 miles away. Um, so they, the fans of that old team pulled their money together and basically built a small amateur league, amateur league team from scratch, and they kept getting promoted up the hierarchy until they reach the professional stages, which starts at League 2, the fourth tier. Um, they got promoted from uh, League 2 to League 1 last year, and they play in like this 5,000-seat stadium, which is probably the smallest stadium I'd ever go to if I get to a game there. And um, they're still trying to grow the club organically. They're trying to pull the money now to build their own stadium um, in their old home, uh, Plow, Plow Lane. Yeah, that's what it's called, which is now a Greyhound racetrack that isn't used. Um, so they want to make that 16,000-seat stadium um, sometime the next three or four years. Um, so I kind of want to catch them while they're still in this rented ground of only like 6,000 people max and kind of take in that intimate environment for the first time for yeah. a soccer game. I was about to say <laughs> yeah. the word intimate <laughs> seemed like the one. What is there a specific perk to that intimate environment that you look forward to? Um, I think it'll be like experiencing Selhurst Park on a smaller scale. Um, from what I understand, these Wimbledon fans are very vocal and boisterous because of all they've had to go through, seeing their club taken away from them by an owner and moved, you know, miles away, like 100, yeah, again, 100 miles away, having to become a Phoenix club and rebuild from scratch. And then uh, use these amateurs to climb the ladder. And then once they're finally in the professional tier, they spend like three or four years in the bottom, uh, the fourth tier, barely hanging on. And then all of a sudden, they achieve promotion to the next tier up in League One for the playoffs. And they actually passed the team. Um, uh, the team that uh, the old Wimbledon became was known as Milton Keynes. Uh, Milton Keynes, yeah, MK Dons. Um, then they now share the same league as MK Dons, uh, Wimbledon. So they're both in the same competition, competing against each other. And uh, Wimbledon is higher than MK in the table right now, the standings. Uh, so that's like their biggest accomplishment to date right now. Um, it's possible they could get promoted to the second tier if they make it into the playoffs this year. Um, they're just hovering outside in 10th position, I think, right now. And the playoff positions, I believe, go uh, three through six. Net league. You don't seem like you're rooting for them to do that. Oh, no, I am. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't mind them seeing, achieving that success after all they've been through, seeing the hometown club taken away, having to kind of rebuild from scratch. It's a cool story. 
and that's really why I want to see them. Just seeing that story in action of how they, they've climbed this high. <laughs> Do you want to witness it or write about it? Um, a little bit of both. Um, I'm thinking about writing about each atmosphere and game I attend um, the night of. Um, after each yeah, after each game while I'm in London, back at the hotel, like just whip up something quick uh, about the atmosphere, about the climb, uh, about the competition itself between the two teams. I haven't really figured that out yet, but it's an idea I've been like floating as I build up to this trip. Do you like analyzing <laughs> these things, or do you like writing about that analysis? <sighs> I think it's more for the sake of writing it because I've been doing so much more analysis stuff. Like, I haven't been in the national... I haven't been in the environment, and I can just report on the crowd saying, oh, you know, like, the cluster of blue and yellow jerseys, you know, waiting in line to go in, like, an hour and a half before the match. That type of thing. Like, those observations I can make when I'm on the ground and, you know, kind of just surveying the atmosphere and what the people are doing in the build-up of to the match, during the match, and after the match, and kind of capturing that atmosphere and putting it into words. I think that's what I want to capture more so than the game, but I'll incorporate elements of the game. Is there anything you want to write about besides sports? I don't know. Part of me feels like I'm... I wouldn't Supposed in, to? <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't think I would put in enough of the like legwork or brain power to read about some of the topics like, you know, urbanization or, you know, like I read a lot of city, I try to read, you know, City Lab or like the Atlantic and stuff like that for, you know, how they analyze how cities are growing or how suburban communities are maybe going back towards cities or whatever the trend is now. I don't know, everyone has a new trend and a new study. I'm falling behind on that. Um, but yeah, and I read those analysis pieces and it's like, man, like a lot of legwork went into writing just like 400, 500 or 800 words on that topic. And I'm not sure I could push myself to that. If I could break that wall, like who knows what I could do. But and at that moment, at the moment right now, it's, I don't really feel like trying to break it. <laughs> well, are you, is there any particular topic? It doesn't sound like there's a topic that interests you at the moment enough to bother trying to do that. It sounds like you are in sports yeah. because that is what you... I mean, the, the, the reason this fell into sports is because yeah. as a topic for everything we're talking about here is that that is what is on your mind. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the urbanization, suburbanization <laughs> pull yeah. seems a little specific to... Your, your current lot in life, yeah. maybe. Um, but it's beyond that, I don't... Uh, you, don't you don't bring those topics up. Oh. So it would, it would make sense that sports... I was merely... See, I, was, I was trying to see if there was actually something in the back of your head that you like... It seems like maybe you would want to write about, but you don't have an outlet for. But it... You, you do seem concentrated on sports. I think that's because I... It's probably like the most access I have to if I can like attend a game or watch it on TV. Um, like with education, that stuff interests me too because my sister also does work on it as part of her job. So I'm kind of learning more about it through her. But I what mean, does she do? She, she does like curriculum research and how public schools in like downtown Chicago implement it, this related student engagement. Okay. Um, yeah. 
and surprisingly, there are a lot of Excel spreadsheets on that stuff, but who knew? Um, <laughs> I don't know that I'm surprised by that, but... Nah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's stuff I read about, but I'm not sure I'm well-versed enough to talk about it, because I want to at least sound informed if I bring it up, and there may be, there may be a blind spot I don't know about yet, and I just have to find out and read about it. And I kind of keep myself in that limbo about everything I read. Except for sports, because I feel egotistical enough that I know enough about it compared to other people that can write and talk about it without issue. Well, and it's possible <laughs> that you do. I mean, yeah. you you seem to follow enough sports and enough sports closely enough to be yeah. able to do that. I just, I, I mean, the, the thing I'm prodding at is where, where the line between the analysis, because we've already yeah. essentially confirmed yeah. that you are not, you're not like a team member. You are... <laughs> You are an analytical spectator, but then you exhibit that through writing. You don't yeah. talk. You don't literally talk about it very much. No, I don't. Um, you want to put it into words, and I'm just curious where the line between the analysis and the writing comes in. I and the fact that you only opt for topics that you know things about yeah. suggests that it's closer to the analysis than the writing. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess you're right. Um, I mean, I think part, I'm, I'm, now I feel like I'm repeating myself, but kind of just feels like it boils down to access. Um, maybe I should attend more community meetings on like school or school board meetings. Probably should, but I don't have a kid, so whatever. Yeah, that sounds, <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a rabbit hole. Creepy. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's like, I want to have like that firsthand look, I guess, which is why I'm eager to go back to London and like be part of that atmosphere and see those games before I write about them. Uh, and maybe that's why I have like some nagging doubts every time I write a, like that weekly article for that website. Like I'm all right. Here's the game I watched on TV. What do you think? It's it, <laughs> yeah. it's the the, the writing. Yeah. You don't you don't seem to put all that much truck in the rhetoric of the writing. It is in the content of the writing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't. I, I'm really bad at like flowery sentences. Really bad. <laughs> well, I mean, flowery nothing. It's yeah. just that you you need <laughs> you. You uh, not that you specifically want the access to yeah. the people, or at least yeah. haven't considered that because of the wall that we were talking about before. Yeah. But you, you watch, you watch what's going on, and you. It almost sounds like you barely attempt to even put a spin on it. No, I don't. I mean, I have an opinion, but I'm pretty. But you suppress it. No, no, my opinion's super reason. No, I don't want to say reasonable because that's really egotistical. I'm really. I don't have extremes there. I guess like. It's like, this is what happened. How can you argue against that? It's like, this is what I saw. Like, he was out of position, or he should have played this player in this role for the substitution instead of that. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm, I'm very mild, I guess, and that's part of also what makes me an odd fit for that website. Um, I don't have any hot takes or stuff like that. Are there that. a lot of screamers on that website? Uh, there can be a couple. I. I, I read like a few of their articles every week, but the writing style is so varied in like the editing because we have to self-edit our articles because there aren't enough editors. Um, like some of the editing just grates me to the point where like, I can't read this anymore. Like just the style is not adequate enough to be published in my opinion. <laughs> hot beef. Yeah, um, th that's my hot take for the day. <laughs> 
No, I, 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 I accused you. I accused you of suppressing it just because I wanted to. I wanted to gauge what your reaction to yeah. that would be because it's it, it's it's clear that you don't have that strong an opinion. No, Otherwise, I, the rest of this would have fallen into place somewhere else down the road. It's, yeah, but there's it's it's this like very. It's not delicate. Is totally not that. It's not that it's pejorative. It's just not the right word. You have you have this exacting, even tempered. Yeah method yeah. of approaching sports and you approach a ton of sports that way yeah it was just a complete opposite of fandom i realized that and which is why i probably don't make the best opinion writer um but that's kind of like the influence i had from reading print like before the rise of the tv uh, pundit like I, I read print columns and like i could spot a bad print column because you use like weird analogies but that's a whole nother topic I was like, all right, let me read this guy instead. Um, I don't read as much sports columns nowadays, except for maybe like The Guardian. Um, a lot of the sports opinions I get, again, are from like Dan Patrick, and he kind of follows that same train of thought, or maybe I should say I follow that same train of thought because I'm like 30 years his junior, of, you know, keeping an even-tempered look at everything. Um, like, don't... I try not to overreact to the story as soon as it happens. I like maybe there's two sides to it, so I'll hold off on an opinion for a couple of days, and then something pops up. It's like, oh, okay, that justified me holding back on saying something for 48 hours or coming to a conclusion because, like, I didn't know this piece of information. Like, I try to be fair um, to both sides when I write something because, but you know, that means I get shouted out easily because I'm not first or I'm not you know, very aggressive in that sense. <laughs> How many people at the website you write for do you think fit into the same category of writer as you? Uh, as a ratio. As if they actually have a decent split. Um, I think it's about 50-50. Um, yeah, there's a couple like uh, Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, writers who are I, I like reading because uh, they're pretty fair to the players and the management and they'll call out mistakes when they see him or like they'll see a mistake it's like oh it wasn't as egregious as it looks calm down a bit um, yeah so I, I do like the Spurs writers even though they're one of the teams I don't really like in general why don't you uh, like them oh because um, they just always find ways to beat my team and they're really good okay they're, really, they're like top five status um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, they had like the Spurs writers, um, the Middlesbrough writer. Yeah, he's yeah, he's okay. Although sometimes the style can be a little grating to me. But yeah, how so? Readable. What's grating about it? Uh, well, the hard part about not having editors, it's like, okay, maybe we should break this up into a separate paragraph. Or this sentence sounds like you're rambling, or you're talking, or you're like you're talking more conversationally than to where it sounds okay if you say it out loud, but it doesn't really read well. If it's like a one direction conversation, which is what a print article is, it's a one direction conversation. So it's like, may break this up into like two sentences or something like that. Something simple, like just chop it in half and then it'll be fine. But we don't have the manpower to do that. Do you ever <laughs> read your articles out loud to yourself? Yeah, before I publish it and then after I publish it. And it's like, oh, I could have shortened that sentence too. And I find myself accusing myself of the same things I accuse others of. <laughs> do you do you write or dictate initially? What is your first draft like? Uh first draft. Ooh, 
it depends. Sometimes I start at the end. Sometimes I start at the beginning and kind of just build from there. Uh, I usually try to go chronological, but uh, depending on like the egregiousness of the defeat or like the awesomeness. Well, it's a good word. Yeah, the awesomeness of the victory. Sometimes I may just point out the positives first. It's like this is what actually worked, and then like go down to like okay, there was some hiccups here, but for the most part, it did its job. Uh, but Maybe if they do this little tweak, it'll be fine next week. But it's um, a point to point. It's not necessarily. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like. Correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't sound like you. You are discussing it, and and you did say that it's a yeah. one way conversation. So yeah. of course, to some degree, this would be the case. But it doesn't sound like this is the way that you would say this to someone in a considered fashion. No. It is. It is a point to point. It. it it's yeah. journalistic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. At least for the analysis parts, the pundit part. But like the, like the pieces where I'm actually there and like trying to capture the atmosphere, I try to go more chronological order there because just for like this makes sense. Sure. Yeah. How often do you do those, the on-site reports? That kind of died down toward the end of summer. Um, I was doing that for the baseball stadiums I've been visiting. Um, yeah, I'm trying to do like five a year. Um, so I can say I've done all through the MLB ballparks. Up to 15 out of 30. So I like I was good with that. Uh, the first two or three, <laughs> like with Baltimore, um, especially Baltimore, that was the fun one to write about. But like eventually, I started doing them like week after, like visiting three different stadiums, like three, three consecutive weekends. It's like I can't keep up anymore. Um, do you do the on-site <clears throat> reports because you like doing them? Yeah, I, I, I like doing them, and like kind of just wanted test myself in a sense so like how well can I capture what I saw and kind of just use a different part of my brain other than what I do at work <laughs> okay yeah so it's more it's more for me just to see what I can write and what I can produce what I can observe it's make it's kind of helped me better um appreciate like those game day environments even they're all kind of very similar to one another, at least here in the States. But uh, it's, it's just a nice little competition with myself. Just <laughs> to, to appreciate. Yeah. To appreciate something that I would, I would think that you would implicitly enjoy, but maybe not. Do you ever take in a game in an unanalytical way? When the Cubs won the last game, how hard were you thinking about the numerical side of things? Oh, this was all emotional for the playoffs. It was all like I'm clutching at straws, like, biting my lip. I need, like, support ice cream to get me through this half inning. Okay, yeah. so the, you can fall <laughs> yeah. into this hole. Yeah, okay. that, was, that, was, that was all emotional. And I don't watch enough baseball to really get into the uh, analysis side. There are so many smart writers out there who do analytics plus, like, style of play. Sabermetrics? So, yeah, the sabermetrics. So they can crunch the numbers and relate that to the style of play and synthesize it to something, like, spectacular to read it's like i'm not gonna even try do you like, wish you could do that in a way yeah but uh i'm i'm just not interested in trying to go that far um jonah carey is kind of like my highlight writer for mixing in analytics with the observations he sees uh, when he watches a game in person um and he does that so well and he does it for like all 30 teams i'm impressed but he's also a Montreal Expos fan. I hope they get a team again because of him. Um, yeah, so he does that for all 30 teams as like a neutral. And like it's, it's engaging writing on top of all the numbers he dumps on you. And it's cool, but 
it's like when you're doing it for free, like what I do, it's like I don't feel like putting in the legwork. <laughs> I suppose that's one way to look at yeah. it. You're going to carry uh, Zach Lowe's kind of the same way with basketball. Uh, he'll mix in analytics, stats, um, and then he'll add, observa- he'll add the observations, but he actually captures them on like DVR and posts them um, as graphics on his article. So you can like hit the replay button all the time and see what he's talking about with like this specific pick and roll or how this player um, sets up a, like a triangle or whatever. Yeah, sorry, New York Knicks. Um, yeah, and it's just a cool way of writing, how to, like mixing in the the stats with the old school observation and coming up with something that kind of tops both styles when they're by themselves. <laughs> Do you want your writing to be cool? Cool? I don't know. I'm not really cool by definition of being even temperate, am I? <laughs> I mean, that doesn't mean you don't want it. Yeah, I'm okay with what I write. If it's cool. <laughs> Fine, that's cool. Good for you. I'm glad you like it. But I mean, I like what I write for this part nowadays, at least. What would you give up to be any of the people that you just described in a journalistic capacity? What would I give up? Oh man. Would you? Would you give something up to be those people? I'm not sure. They don't really have an off season. I mean, sure, the players may not be playing over the summer, but then you have like off-season transactions, the general manager meetings, all the political stuff behind the scenes that you got to keep up with, and then you get that week of vacation. And then all of a sudden, the season's back up. It's a very demanding job, um, just trying to keep track of all that, the behind the scenes, on the field, and then trying to break news when you can. It's a, I'm not sure I could do that now. <laughs> That's why you got to give something up to do it. Yeah, man. yeah. I don't... <laughs> I don't know. It's it's tough. I, I do like my Christmas breaks with my family and come, being able to come down here to Florida to skip the cold for like a, four days um, while watching NBA on my couch after watching Star Wars. <laughs> I guess the sports thing kind of also ties into the city thing. And that's why I like cities too. I get to explore them for a day before going to a game. And I attend a new ballpark, a new soccer field. And then... uh Tied all in as one fun holistic experience personally of just exploring and getting a game out of it. So yeah, if you use sports or travel, that's cool. Be like me. <laughs> <laughs> but also save your money too, because it does get expensive sometimes. <laughs> I have to imagine. Yeah. Both literally and metaphorically there. Yeah. I've heard ticket prices on certain sports get uh, really bad. Although not all <laughs> of them. From the sounds, it it actually how much does it vary from sport to sport? Like how much of a consider if if you're going to have to fly from Connecticut to Chicago, yeah. How much of a considerate is there a sport where the price of the tickets when you get there would be a consideration in that instance? How often does that happen? Um, I don't get into nice seats. I sit in the, like the upper decks. Excuse me, nosebleeds. So tickets there, for, at least in the U.S., for, like those four section seats. They range from about thirty to fifty dollars, at least for the baseball stadiums. Um, the hockey stadiums. When I tried to do the hockey, I tried to visit all thirty hockey rinks, but that was way more expensive than baseball. So I switched to baseball. That got expensive because the successful teams can raise the prices more 
so than the baseball teams for some reason. Hundred, two hundred dollars. What are we talking? Yeah, you're looking at like eighty, ninety bucks uh, upper level for like the good teams. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and hundred bucks plus for like the most successful ones, like the Blackhawks or the Penguins. Um, so I kind of make that more as a treat for myself now. Um, yeah, the um, soccer games are much more affordable. Ironically enough, even with the exchange rate. Um, I have a front row seat for the Crystal Palace game I'm seeing next year. That was only 35 pounds. So you're looking at about like 40, 45 bucks US for that front row seat. At current exchange rate. Yeah, current exchange rate. <laughs> Who knows what happens? Um, but thankfully, I bought that ticket like last month. So I got that set still. Yeah. Yeah. So pricing is more affordable there. Um, and the clubs try to manage the ticket prices better. Um, cause I, I guess the fans have more say, um, with ownership there. And it kind of goes back to the access thing I brought up earlier. How <laughs> oh, I don't have that specifically, but I know people who do, they do that in like fan forms and whatever. Um, so yeah, they keep ticket prices pretty modest for everyone except for like your Manchester United's and Chelsea's and all that. So it's a cool, it's like a cool family day experience. Um. That's relatively affordable over there, at least. Um, yeah, like I can get a front row. I can have like two basically front row seats, for like a combined sixty five pounds, and that's usually just like one ticket for me at like a hockey game, um, at like the upper decks. It's 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 nice how they do that. Unfortunately, um, the last game I'm seeing, uh, Leicester City, the current Premier League champions, versus Manchester United, that juggernaut. Uh, that sold out before I could get an opportunity to buy a ticket. Um, so I'm taking a very Christmas treat yourself type route to that game. And I bought a hospitality package. So I basically have like a post-match curry dinner with certain people. And Did you talk to any of them? Uh, I don't know. I'll find out when I go to that game uh, next year. Oh, yeah, okay. no, no, next no. year. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, okay. I just like bought the ticket and it's like 150 pounds, which is like oh, about 180 US. But it's like the only way I could get to that game while I'm there. It so, doesn't like, sound too bad. No, it's it's great. It's like it's once in a lifetime that I managed to be um, like in England the same time that the Premier League champions are playing Manchester United. Like I can't make money that much of a concern for that one opportunity <laughs> so i'll break my rules and like buck up the money for that one how much money do you spend on sports every year <sighs> okay so do you want to include the flights to get there or just yeah absolutely, oh, okay. absolutely you have to get to the places right. so i book early enough because i look at the schedules way in advance so let's just say it's about 250 300 bucks a flight or if i get lucky i just take amtrak um but let's just assume flying for simplicity let's just say i do like free flights and or five flights i mean and let's just say they're about like 300 bucks each that's like 1500 bucks get like the cheapest ticket we'll average that out to about 45 do like 45 times five that's a hard number let's just do 50 times five that's like 250 i'm surprised you don't have a napkin figure in your head about this and uh, yeah it's yeah i haven't done that maybe i should but <laughs> I mean, if it doesn't bother you, it doesn't bother me. I'm no, just, it, it just seems curious. Yeah, so let's just say, what, 1500 plus 250, like 1750. 
Um, if I stay the night at half the sites, let's just say I get a hotel room from maybe like on your fifth night. That's like, and if I stay on site for two of those ones, so it'd be like 300 plus 300, 600. Very breaking. We're breaking, almost hitting 2,500. So let's, I guess, with any other unexpected travel expenses like Metro cards, um, probably like another, let's say 100, 200 bucks, 200 bucks, we'll round it up and make it more expensive. Um, yeah, probably close to $3,000. It's Take cheaper care. than being a furry, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair <laughs> so, enough. <laughs> um, you got, so, for three grand, you get to uh, how many games? Let's just say five MLB ball, ballparks at the highest level of seating the nosebleeds. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I guess that's entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. That's around, yeah, that's, yeah. that's video game money still. Yeah. Could be worse. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't touched that Xbox in a while, and I have a Final Fantasy 15 sitting unopened because I have a PS4 yet, so I don't know when I'll get that. But yeah. Wait, you bought a game for a console you don't have? Yep, that's right. That's... I know, that's poor economics. It's ill-advised, Brian. Yes. That's... <laughs> you probably shouldn't have done that. Um... Okay. Oh. I... Do you have anything else you want to cover? Uh, no, not really. Thanks for letting me, like, talk your ear off. What? <laughs> that's what we're here for. Awesome. <laughs> Brian, thanks for being part of the Machination Log. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>